Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends, the weekly podcast brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Motos and Friends is brought to you by the Yamaha Heritage Line. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your local dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you. This week we decided to change it up a little and we're bringing you three segments in this episode. In our first segment, I chat with Associate Editor Jonathan Handler. He's freshly returned from a trip to Germany to ride the interesting new BMW R18 Roctane. This all-out cruiser features the impressive BMW R18 motor, which has had a slightly mixed reaction in its other iterations. I have to say, in this particular model, the big boxer twin seems like the perfect fit for someone who wants a seriously powerful cruiser that's a little different from everything else out there. Let's see if Jonathan agrees with me. In our second segment, Associate Editor TJ Adams chats with Rizzo Muntinga of SPC Power Clutch. Rizzo introduces the Sintered Aluminum Indestructible Clutch. The company now has a patent on these clutch plates, and frankly, they sound like a game-changing idea. If you're a seriously heavy clutch user, especially in sports such as off-road, motocross and so on, or perhaps you're a drag racer or a stunt guy, then you're going to be really interested in what Rizzo has to say. In our third segment, TJ chats with Angie Sandow. Angie plays guitar in her ACDC cover band. She's an author, motivational speaker, and of course a motorcycle rider. Interestingly, she's also partially handicapped. She only has one hand. To hear how she overcomes life's challenges and still gets to play guitar and ride her motorcycle are amazing. Her bubbly personality and sheer strength of will that come across are inspiration indeed. So, from all of us here at Motos and Friends, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your local dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you. Like the Yamaha Bold R-Spec that features a torquey V-twin engine combining old-school soul and modern form. Or the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant and is the rebirth of a legend. The XSR 700 is built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. And the light and nimble V-Star 250 is built for fun with a V-twin engine and a low seat height for easy handling. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit yamahamotorsports.com or see the Bolt R-Spec XSR 900, XSR 700 or the V-Star 250 at your local dealer today. I was invited with two other American journalists to review the new R18 Roctane, which is the fifth family member in the R18 family, and to me, probably my favorite. Really? Okay. So, so where, whereabouts did you go in Germany for this? Obviously to the BMW factory? Or? I flew into, into Munich, and there is a 
BMW Airport Service, they call it, which is for cars and motorcycles. All right. Uh, we all met up there on uh, Monday morning after flying Saturday and Sunday. Right. Uh, I did visit the BMW Museum in Munich and the Welt, which is a car and motorcycle exhibit across the street. Uh, the museum was fantastic. It really? was uh, a compendium of everything BMW Motorrad and uh, comparing uh, new models side by side with existing or, or models of decades earlier where they may use the design cues from those uh, earlier and show those differences over the many, many years. Uh, kind of like the Guggenheim in New York in which you uh, walk up a circular ramp from oh, okay. one exhibit to another. And right. uh, I highly recommend anyone who visits Munich to... That's the same thing as the barber. The barber does the same thing with, yeah. the, with the ramps, the circular yeah. ramps. That just I got haven't been there, and I'd like to do that. Yeah. But okay. it certainly was a pleasure to visit BMW. Right. So first thing Monday morning, we met at BMW uh, Airport Service. It's one word. You know those Germans like to have <laughs> several words wrapped into one in their language. And... Uh, I believe there were 15 representatives of BMW and 11 journalists. And okay. uh, after watching the weather for almost a month prior and seeing 50% more or more chance of rain uh, every day, day after day out until this ride, uh, I certainly brought my rain suit, but didn't expect it to be sunny in 75 and absolutely robin's egg blue skies and gorgeous in Munich. Right. So we went down to their depot and uh, they assigned me one of the bikes. I believe they all looked uh, the same. There were no color variations, kind of a, a matte black gray. Uh, the R18, not to get too far into the differences, but uh, they put a 21-inch front wheel versus the old 19. Nice. I believe 18 inches in the back. Uh, certainly no one can doubt that they want to go for that cruiser look right, sure. that the motor company has been promoting for all of these years. Uh, but they've done some nice styling things besides the matte paint, which is not the only color that's available. They they darkened or blacked out a lot. Right. Uh, I don't know that there are a lot of fans of many of the BMW exhausts that are shiny chrome. So they've <laughs> gone with kind of a, a a black chrome that's not black, but it is a kind of smoky dark gray chrome that's very attractive. Um, black cylinder head covers in gloss, mid-rise handlebars that are... Uh, actually quite comfortable. I'm not an ape kind of guy. Right. But at the same time, the handlebars uh, were a reach straight out from the shoulder. And in the 320-mile round trip over two days, I found them quite comfortable. Wow. Uh, there are some very nicely done panniers on the bike. A great open and close, smooth, 
uh, really nice non-removable panniers. Uh, and together that really makes the variant. They have uh, added a dashboard, which is really harkens back to old in which it is a, a just one round gauge that encompasses all the functions of the bike. So, and where's that mounted? Is that on on the, the headlight uh, nacelle? The, okay, all right. Uh, as opposed to some of their like transcontinentals, where they've got not only a big amount of fairing, but they've got that giant ten-inch, really <laughs> right. nice dashboard. And in the rain, I kind of you know pine for for a windshield. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, with the rain gear and and speeds that weren't too great. Uh, the range is made for an adventure, and it really was sure. quite nice. They, Do they, BMW have accessories for a windshield? They'll probably make one, I would think. Uh, likely. I haven't seen the accessory catalog for this bike. Uh, while there were these models to ride, uh, we're told that uh, they won't arrive in America until probably deep into the fourth quarter of 2023. Okay. So it's something to look forward to. Still the exposed drive shaft and oh, nice. uh, a lot of other little things that really make this different from the other R18 really uh, variants. Is. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, got, it's clearly aimed straight at the Road King, isn't it, really, I would say? Yeah, and I, I, I've got to oh. say that there was talk among the, uh, the BMW personnel. Uh, they will be taking some of these bikes to Sturgis in August. Oh, awesome. So you've got to know that they're aiming for the crowd and, uh, and some who might want to abandon the motor company... Sure. or Indian for a cruiser like this. I must say in riding around, it's sure-footed. Okay. Uh, we rode everything from Autobahn in wet and dry to little village and town roads sometimes paved in cobblestones. Uh, the German roads were excellent, uh, especially compared to Southern California, which doesn't say much. And I found it to be sure-footed. Uh, feels great right until the floorboards touch down, which can be expected on uh, any kind of cruiser like this with floorboards. Uh, we rode sun, rain, wet <laughs> roads, uh, 70 degrees mostly, so nothing too cold. Uh, there are three modes, rain, roll and rock or should i say <laughs> rock and roll but uh rock roll rock, and rain yeah rock okay. is so so i tried rain and and it's pretty close to a roll uh there wasn't a big difference there and i found that rock was uh considerably more responsive and powerful and okay. quick to want to wind up uh than any of the other two modes and I'll admit that I left it in rock even in the rain because I'm old and traction control I learned is in my wrist. So right. uh, on some of the rides, while it was wet and while we were going at low speeds, uh, I did twist it pretty hard to see when the traction control light is a little yellow light in the instrumentation that does 
pop on, you know, able to get a little wheel spin in second gear at about 20, 30 miles an hour. Of course, everything's calibrated in kilometers over there, and that's something that's not too hard to get used to. Uh, so I, I think I really got a chance to ride this in every possible condition other than very cold and or sleety or snowy. Right. Uh, it was very comfortable, very road-worthy and confidence-inspiring. So, uh, you know, I, I think asking a Road King guy to buy this bike, I don't think it's a hard ask. But at the same time, it might be like asking an Apple guy to buy a Windows computer <laughs> right. or vice versa. Right. Uh, you know, it, 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 there, there must be a bit of a religious factor in here. Sure. Uh, Harley Davidson uh, versus BMW, but it's such a fine machine and the price is right. I think we're, we're probably in the 19 to $20,000 range for the bike when it does get over here. Uh, there are some upgrades. I haven't gone too much through the catalog yet. And right. certainly I, I suspect that will develop in the months coming up to when they do launch it here in America. Right. Uh, the BMW people did say that the bike is selling better in Europe and in Asia. And uh, I, I attribute what might be uh, slower sales to the fact that you know, some people have to get with it that V-twins aren't everything. Right. Uh, the massive engine is wonderful. Uh, you, you rev it at a, at a stop and you do get a bit of that torque. The tilt, yeah. Torque tilt to the <laughs> left, kind of like a Moto Guzzi <laughs> right. as well. It's, it's not terribly sharp. It's not going to throw you off your feet. But at the same time, you know you're dealing with a... 1803 i believe cc which comes out to 110 cubic inches so it's you know right in there with some of the motor company uh, motor sizes uh rated at 91 horsepower it's not going to give uh uh, dino junkies any kind of a, <laughs> a, of a great right. dream but uh, that it's hundred torque as hell. Hundred and fifteen pounds feet of torque. Wow! And okay. even with eight hundred and fifty ish pounds and a hundred and ten inch length, this baby squirts. I mean, <laughs> you know, second gear in 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 the rock mode. Uh, you you twist the throttle and your arms get stretched. Wow! Okay. You know, so I, as as a cruiser guy. Sometimes when I wear the cruiser hat as opposed to a canyon scraping hat, uh, there's plenty of power there. Right, right. I see the the suspension is more of uh, the sort of the conventional. I mean, compared to the cruiser that they did, you know, many years ago, which was really a very odd looking machine that had its devotees without a doubt. But this is much more of a traditional looking machine and the the, the suspension is much more traditional. There's no sort of tele levers or any of that kind of stuff. And how, how was that? Did it? Uh, very compliant, while at the same time firm enough to handle the weight at any of the speeds we rode. Okay. Now, granted, down through the small hamlets, villages, past all of the 
Bavarian maypoles that we're seeing. Um, There wasn't a big demand on the suspension. The speeds were relatively low as we crept through some villages. But, you know, we did see in the 140 to 150 kilometer range uh, on the Autobahn. Uh, It felt very good there. You know, so 140 or 50 is about 80 to 90 miles an hour. Uh, We didn't get a lot of time there. Uh, People think that all the Autobahn has no speed limit, but there's these things called traffic jams that happen there. (laughs) And many of the Autobahns now sport speed limits. So we didn't get in on any stretches where we really could see where it would go. I've seen some top speed limit information and probably in the 110 to 20 mile an hour. I don't know that I'd want to be ringing this baby out any faster. Sure. Uh, After all, it is a cruiser and it's something to enjoy the day with and and with no wind protection, I mean, you don't want to be yeah. doing that, those kind of speeds. You might squirt up to that speed briefly, but you're not going to do any extended high-speed you know, stuff without any kind of windshield or anything. This seems very defined as an identity. It is a very definite cruiser. It's got a very definite look to it, a pretty traditional look to it with an untraditional motor. And I, I like the look of it. Do you, is that, how, how do you feel about it? No, that? I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think BMW is, is trying to find a variant to gain popularity. Yes. Um, the classic has leather kind of bags. They've tried that. Uh, the R1800 years is a bike that uh, doesn't have bags. I, I don't know if if they do offer some kind of bag that will attach the the base r18 is is not so different it's got kind of that fishtail chrome exhaust pipe uh the r18b has a windshield and bags not unlike on the on the roctane the transcontinental i never rode that bike i've heard say that it's a bit anemic Right. Given the extra bags, top box, sure. big front end with yeah, uh, fairing, uh, and the Transcontinental, of course, sports that really nice entertainment guidance system and whatnot. Uh, one of the 15 BMW guys was riding one, and uh, that dashboard's really nice. Uh, I think the Roctane is the most pure. Personally, well, I that, want that bags. twenty. What that twenty-one inch front wheel really stands out, and that really gives it its its identity and its personality. I would say, these other sort of semi cruisers. Um, I'm leaving out the Transcontinental, but the other ones with just the sort of, uh, you know, seventeen inch wheels and what have you. There's only, I think, there's only so so far you can go with those. But uh, but this one looks really has a really strong identity, and I think. Um, I think it looks good. I think they've yeah. done a great job with it. Well, well, I believe the the other models are 19-inch front. Okay, all right. And, and now we've got the 21-inch. Uh, handles well. I don't notice the difference in handling no. from 19 to 21, but 
let's face it, guys are putting thirties on on some of their <laughs> cruisers nowadays. Right. And uh, I I like the simplicity combined with the storage. I mean, I, I need storage. Uh, uh, yeah. The gas tank. Uh, Inlet is a screw-on inlet, much like old cars have. It, it, it doesn't have a ring around it like many of the other BMW models that have a uh, six-bolt ring that aftermarket manufacturers of tank bags will, will make a, uh, an, an adapter that screws into the ring and then you have a snap-on a tank bag. In this case, you'd probably either have to strap it on or it is a metal tank, so you might want to go with a magnet. But I, I need some storage. The fact that it doesn't have a top case, uh, I'm not sure whether or not one is offered, but I've always been one that two side bags and a small duffel bungee down to the back seat has always been yeah. something that worked for me. So yeah, no, it's a bagger. I mean, then that's fine. I, I think to sum it up, it's it's the purest version of of something I'd really want to own and to ride, whether on a daily ride or a long trip. The R18 and the 100 years model, they don't have bags, so that wouldn't suit me. Yeah. Uh, they have their dashboards that are propped up from the, uh, from the handlebars rather than sunken into the headlight nacelle. I got to tell you, it really is my favorite of the R18s, and the more I rode it, the more I liked it. Right, that's great. What's the fit and finish on it? Like, I imagine pretty exemplary. Yeah, in this case, they were kind of matte. It was kind of a, a medium silver gray matte, and that's the only version mm. that was shown to us. Uh, that's a $385 extra pop. Uh, a Manhattan metallic matte at the same price, and it comes in the Black Storm Metallic, which is a, uh, a wonderful metallic. And that's the standard color, which I did not see. But my personal R1250RS is Black Storm Metallic, and I adore it. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, a really standout metallic, but in the right light. It's just the nicest black and... I like black, and I'll like black until they come up with a color that's darker. <laughs> yeah. BMW, for me, over the years, they sometimes, they have their own quirky way of doing things. And sometimes it's felt to me like they do things to be different just for the sake of being different. But this, they've gone with the more traditional look. And they've, they haven't said, look, we're just going to do something crazy and off the wall just because we can. They've gone with a more traditional look, but they've put this really great motor in it. And I think the overall um, impression of the bike is really strong. I think it's got a great identity. It's clearly got good road presence. And I, I think they've, they've really got a winner on their hands with this R18 motor. Well, I, I agree with great in the terms of an excellent motor and great 
meaning large. Yeah. I mean, it's a big honking engine there. <laughs> right. But I, I got to tell you, the power delivery is, is super smooth in any gear. It's linear. Uh, there was uh, no surges or, or empty spots in the torque curve, according to the seat of my pants and my wrist. Right. Uh, you know, I, I did try to abuse it slightly under the supervision of <laughs> of the ride leader and the guys from BMW. But, you know, there's not much to abuse other than to try and make the rear wheel spin in a few different gears on wet roads, which, uh, which did happen. There's enough power for that. And I think for the, the potential buyer, any thought that the bike is underpowered just is not right. Any thought that uh, it's not going to give you the kind of kick presence or or merging power on the freeway uh, would be wrong. When you put your spurs into this baby, it just takes off. And for 850 pounds, uh, it does well. Uh, the second night of the trip, we stayed in... Uh, uh, Berghof Hotel Falkenstein <laughs> after going from Bavaria through Austria circling around back up into Germany uh, this hotel is on the top of a mountain and it's reached only by one single lane poorly paved full of gravel road that actually has a red and green light at the top and the bottom and at certain hours you can go up and others you can go down because if you meet somebody, whether you're in a car or a bike going in the other direction, uh, I don't know who could back <laughs> up. And, and I got to tell you, riding this 850 pound machine up these very tight switchbacks, tornanti as they're called in Italian, uh, I must admit to a dab or two of my feet and a bit of feathered <laughs> clutch. And, and happily, I wasn't told about this in advance to worry about it. You know, at that point, it was do or die. And I was the third guy in a string of probably 15 uh, heading up. We spread out enough that if the guy ahead messed up, it wouldn't mess us up. But Everybody made it to the top. Nobody dropped their bike. <laughs> and I'm glad I only had to do it once. <laughs> but highly recommend the Hotel Falkenstein in Germany. And uh, I've got to tell you, I've lived all over the country. I've lived in Colorado that I thought was the most beautiful place. But Southern Bavaria, the jagged mountains, the snow caps, the uh, fast and slow rides through mostly villages you wouldn't call them towns or or uh or cities you know they're along one two-lane road and then you're back in farmland where lots of grass has grown hay alfalfa there's a big uh, cattle industry there and 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 the brief five or ten miles through austria was was just as beautiful. I highly recommend uh, riding or driving and visiting that area. Uh, I'm going to have to work on my German because 
reading the menus in a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can do okay in French or Italian, but and in Spanish, but it, it's it's <laughs> tough to understand any more than schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> schnitzel and potato salad as everything else I needed help translating but all in all great trip great bike great area uh, wonderful uh, highly informative crew from BMW they could not have been more welcoming to us uh, I can't wait to do it again terrific thanks so much Jonathan in our second segment, Associate Editor T.J. Adams chats with Rizzo Muntinga of SPC Power Clutch. Rizzo introduces the Sintered Aluminum Indestructible Clutch. The company now has a patent on these clutch plates, and frankly, they sound like a game-changing idea. If you're a seriously heavy clutch user, especially in sports such as off-road, motocross and so on, or perhaps you're a drag racer or a stunt guy, then you're going to be really interested in what Rizzo has to say. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you like the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant. Or the XSR 700, built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit yamahamotorsports.com or see for yourself at your local dealer today. I ended up in the motorcycle field back in Europe and made some connections. And at a certain point, I decided to come over to the U.S. and uh, see if I could start a uh, business in the, offering replacement stator uh, alternator cycles. So that's kind of how that got started. And uh, that was in 98 when I, when I started here. Really small little office. And so it kind of grew from there. And over time, the company grew. And uh, yeah, the 2008, 2009 uh, recession, really, which which hit the motorcycle a lot of business. So we ended up teaming up with Procom Engineering. I was dealing with uh, suppliers overseas that were just not all that reliable. Procom had a production facility there that they controlled completely. And they were looking for a product line. So it kind of seemed like a perfect connection. Yeah, we started uh, basically uh, connecting the companies together and moving everything to Orange County. And then the manufacturing was done at Procom facility. And we kept the Electroport brand name. And that's how we ended up basically continuing the brand, uh, but really growing it. Uh, we, we do not only staters. We are in the motorcycle industry. We actually do a lot of uh, um, yeah, hard parts, hard components as well. We do a lot of exhaust components for for major major exhaust brands. I cannot give you any names, but we we supply components to them. So when we go and look at you know what we see as you know a Benelli or a Suzuki or a Harley or whatever, then quite often the parts will come from electro sports. No, no, OEM. No, no, no. Aftermarket exhaust manufacturers worldwide. We supply quite a few with a significant number of parts. And that's basically something that is on the, well, 
sort of under the radar. There's no one in our electric world, a program brand. Nobody sees that, but that's because we have the manufacturing capability to do that. So that's those are our pillars under the company in the motorcycle industry, which we do some different things as well. So fast forward to uh, to the clutches. Yeah, when I met you, that's what we were looking at. You had this really astounding clutch. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not uh, that technical, but yeah, I was fascinated because I didn't, you, you know, you were saying that this does not wear out. And uh, I wanted to know a bit more about that. Well, it's a really exciting product. So what led to this is a friend of mine has a brake path production facility. The brand name is Delta Delta Braking, and they manufacture center metal brake paths like this one. A whole range of them, high quality brake paths. And the centric process is, a, is an interesting process. It's kind of a process where you go from a powder metal to a real metal without going to a uh, liquid phase. That's kind of the, the simplest way of explaining it. So you have a mixture of powders, and if you were to melt them, the, the whole thing would fall apart because the heavier things float to the, the lighter things float to the top, and the heavier stuff goes to the bottom, and you'll never get a, the proper mix. But if you keep it as a powder, you can mix it properly, and if you can keep it in that structure and then convert it into a metal, now you have yourself a, a very heat-resistant brake pad, wear-resistant and heat with great temperature handling that has consistent friction material throughout the metal. And that's the centering process. And that's, that's a fairly well-understood process, uh, but there's a lot of things you can do with that. Well, that's interesting for me because I didn't know the process. I was kind of trying to look things up, and then I thought, no, I'll let Rizzo explain. So that's great. That really... Yeah, a centered metal brake pad is basically... You want to have a, a, a friction material, which is basically the sand on the sandpaper, and you want to put that in an inside a material, but you want to suspend it, and if a little bit wears out, that there's a new layer of these teeth basically sitting there. So, and you cannot just throw it in a in a blob of molten metal because it just separates right away, and you'll never get a, a, like a like an even mixture. So the sintering process allows you to go from a powder to a an almost metal. It's not complete. It's not the same strength, but it does have to be. So my friend, the owner of Delta, he had a really brilliant idea, and he like he can do different things with sintering. And so he came up with the idea of using the same process but making a clutch plate. And a clutch plate is really interesting. And these clutches plates they haven't changed in decades. I mean, a clutch plate from the '60s looks the same as this. It's no different than this modern clutch. It's easy to blow your clutch up if you're a bit of a boyo. Yeah, yeah. So this is a this is a stack of, of these plates with, with uh, intermediate steel plates. And these friction plates, they have an organic material on there. And the organic material contains the, again, the sandpaper, the uh, aluminum oxide friction material. It's suspended in this organic binder. And that's they're basically little pucks that are glued to the aluminum. So that's what this is. That's a normal clutch. The problem with this is if you heat it up, if you have a lot of friction, this thing gets hot. If you heat it up too much, the organic binder burns up. And now the clutch falls apart and doesn't work anymore. So it's not so much the friction material that goes bad or the aluminum plate that goes bad. No, it's the organic binder that goes bad. Now, from what Scarrett came up with is he is using a mixture of aluminum and the friction material powders uh, with along with some other things and using a real 
tricky process that took them years to get it right and basically make that into an aluminum plate that contains the friction material throughout. So the friction material is inside the aluminum. Nobody has done that as far as we can tell. Uh, obviously, the patent wouldn't have been issued. Certainly, nobody has done this for a clutch application. Let's put it that way. So now you have a plate that has a friction material built in, but now you don't have any organic material anymore. This is an old metal plate. So the temperature handling on this plate is about twice as high, more than twice as high as a normal clutch plate. And it's so high, really, if you were to get it to that temperature that this plate falls apart, your engine, I mean, your oil is already way gone. It's, it's, it's so high. It's basically a non-issue. So that clutch, that clutch plate, that will outlast other parts of your engine? This thing will not, will simply not start fading or slipping. It'll continue to work at any temperature that you can reasonably reach. And that's the neat thing about this material. Wow, for me, that sounds miraculous. <laughs> it is, and it is. It, it truly is. We decided, or he decided to, to launch it as a separate business. And uh, Procom Engineering Electrosport, we are the distributor for North America here. A reason being, in the meantime, the production facility for these brake pads has been moved also to our facility overseas. So uh, even though it's uh, Delta's and SBC's own production facility, they have their own machines in there, their own technology there, we're managing it for them. These clutches are actually made at the program facility. And uh, so that's kind of how that came about. So yeah, we're launching it uh, now in the, in the market. We should have our first inventory of these about a month out or so. We're launching this in the MX uh, world, so in the motocross, the motocross clutches, uh, all the Honda, Yamahas, and we're already working on prototypes now for bigger street bikes. Drag racing is a, is a, is a prime example where guys, they go with a Hayabusa, they go uh, on a weekend drag race, and it goes through three clutches. Huh, and yours will not, they're indestructible, so they won't be going through clutches. Oh, they're going to be thanking you. Wow, that is amazing. So we have, yeah, a whole range of models on the, in the pipeline now. And uh, that's kind of the background on the clutch. So it's very, we're very excited about this. That we, I got really high expectations of this because there's really nothing on the market. Any clutches you can buy, aftermarket clutches you can buy now in the U.S., they're still using the standard organic friction plate. So you know you get a fancy basket or a nicer machining, and it's more strong, more sturdy, blah, blah, blah. But the friction material itself is still the same. It hasn't changed at all. This is a game changer. I mean, yeah, you're going to be making such a huge difference to people and their machines. They won't ever have to replace their clutch. So you're marketing to just the manufacturers or you're going to have these available to the public? Yeah, these are going to be available to the public. Uh, we're working on a distribution model at this point, um, and AIM Expo is going to be helpful on that. Distribution is being set up now, and so uh, for the time being, uh, if people are interested, they should contact SPC Clutch. SPC is uh, actually power-clutch.com. Super, yeah, I'll put that in the show notes, power.clutch. You can see all the different models that are available currently. Any changes to distribution will be shown through there as well, of course. But uh, yeah, we, we, we're going to do the import for the U.S. I mean, in my ignorance, are there a huge amount of different clutches, sort of sizes, what have you? What's... There's a good number. There's a good number. It's, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of overlap, too. You don't need as many different plates as you would need brake pads for it. There's quite a bit of overlap. Uh, a lot of times, even though the engine models change, the internals of an engine change, 
but you know the the, the clutch friction plate itself doesn't change and even even if the basket changes from year to year or the plate itself oftentimes doesn't but yeah there's a, there's a good number of, of skews for us to deal with initially what we're doing now is these plates are made kind of one by one i would almost say and we, we, we make them in batches of and then we laser cut the exterior shape and the interior shape. So we can pretty much make any shape you want. So if people need a specific clutch, uh, coming up with prototypes can be pretty quick. And we use the uh, OE specifications for that. Right. They just You just need to have a pattern from them, something to work with. Right. Yeah. One else is, you know, it needs to be economically viable, right? Even though it's technically possible to make it. Like I cannot say, oh yeah, if you need a one-off clutch, we can make it for you. No, I understand that. It's but it's a possibility. So, and are these really only for motorcycles, or are they for? Yeah, ATVs and and, and UTVs is, is uh, got a couple of uh, ATV applications already. Uh, UTV applications already from AIM Expo for uh, and from actually IGMA as well. I got a couple of uh, requests for some specific models. That have clutch problems because that's how you find out. Like, oh, this or this bottle has always has clutch problems. And so then we start looking. Okay, then we'll get some samples and or some OE plates, and then we'll make a prototype clutch and take it from there. That's bam! You've solved the problem, solved the issue. Yeah, this is truly in the clutch world. This is the game changer. And well, the interesting thing is about this technology is that it's not limited to power sports only. Uh, this could also apply in automotive. There's a lot of automotive applications where they have plate clutches inside transmissions, and they all have standard friction plates in them too. So there's a there's a there's a really broad application possibility. But power sports is where our heart is, and and that's where it's at right now. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you have to start somewhere. I mean, it's nothing's instant. But yeah. So the, so the key is that this clutch is. So temperature resistant that it simply won't burn up at all. Explain to people that this is all metal is a good a good way of people, it clicks for people like, oh, okay, so it, it, does, it can handle heat. Yes, it can. Well, we have thousands of listeners, and so I'm sure you'll get inquiries because people will instantly have their thinking caps on for all sorts of applications now that you've learned, uh, you know, how you can create that, that you've got the formula to create that metal. It's a little bit of a tricky process. It took SBC overall eight years to develop this product. Gosh, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, I did try to read a little bit, to be honest, um, about, I can't even say it, metallurgy. <laughs> metallurgy, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I read things like sintering, and I was thinking, okay, oh, this is getting beyond me. These processes are not in my vocabulary. Yeah. And the centering process is interesting because you cannot do this in an oxygen environment. It's it, it has to be using a certain temperature ramp, which means you heat up the material at a certain speed up to a certain temperature. You leave it there for a while, and then you ramp it up further, and you leave it at the next plateau for a while. And it cannot be in an oxygen environment because everything burns up if you do that. So you have to have an inert gas around it, and it depends on the material, what gas you have to use. Yes, Sounds like quite a process. Yeah, no wonder it took so long. Because these plates obviously have to mechanically also be strong enough. They cannot be wimpy. So you need to get the process uh, fine-tuned with the fixture to a level where it is really a variant of aluminum. And excuse my ignorance, this won't make any difference to sort of other parts within your, your engine, your vehicle. You won't need to use special oils or anything like that. No, 
No, no, it's, it's, it's the friction material we use is actually exactly the same as what the OE plates use. Everybody uses aluminum oxide, which is what is also on, on most sandpapers. It's a very hard, very inexpensive uh, material. You can get different grain sizes, and that's why we can play a little bit with the material, the size of the friction powder. Is what you can change that, but yeah, it's the same exact friction material. There's really no difference, and and that's also what ends up in the oil. People are like, oh, what what what, what would you get up in the oil? Well, if you have this this friction plate, the original organic material, if you burn it up, you burn up the organics. The friction material, which is super hard, doesn't burn up. It just doesn't, and it ends up in your oil because the, the binder goes away, burns up, and the rest basically falls in the oil. So it's it's in fact, this is better in that regard compared to the, the, the stock. Yeah, you'll have no waste parts going into your oil. It'll, it's a much healthier engine. There's going to be some. It's not like this is not have, have anywhere. There's going to be somewhere, but it's very small. And in fact, a normal clutch really doesn't wear a whole lot. From what I understand, I'm you know I'm not a mechanic, but I do ride and drive. If you mistreat it, perhaps shall we say, if you're not very kind to your clutch, then yes, you're going to end up uh, with issues. And just some sports are very heavy, heavy on clutches. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, and that's uh, and a lot of motocross. Uh, uh, there was a, this is the beach race in France. Is a prime example that people come up with in over in Europe all the time. So oh, this race. A motocross race, and it, it appears about a third of the people that start the race end up with clutch problems. A third. Good grief. <sighs> they will be so relieved. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some people who are not so pleased, like <laughs> the, the current clutch manufacturers, but hey, this is progress. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we're, we're excited. We, we think this is going to be a, truly a game changer. Quite a technical chat for me, I have to say, but I'm, I think you've explained that well. And I think it's, it's going to make such a difference to so many areas of the sport, of uh, motorsport, particularly two-wheeled. I mean, ATVs, yeah, but two-wheeled. I think it's incredible. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Very innovative. An indestructible clutch. Yeah, that's right. In our third segment, TJ chats with Angie Sandow. Angie plays guitar in her ACDC cover band. She's an author, motivational speaker, and of course a motorcycle rider. Interestingly, she's also partially handicapped. She only has one hand. To hear how she overcomes life's challenges and still gets to play guitar and ride her motorcycle are amazing. Her bubbly personality and sheer strength of will that come across are inspiration indeed. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you. Like the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant. Or the XSR 700, built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit YamahaMotorsports.com or see for yourself at your local dealer today. I live in uh, Mississauga, Ontario, which is in Canada, and I'm about maybe about 30 minutes west of Toronto. Okay, nice. Well, I hear I haven't been, but beautiful from what I hear and see. I have friends who live up that way. 
you know, North is is amazing. I mean, it's uh, there's some really good riding up there. I, I guess that would be about 90 minutes away. But the thing is, there's so much traffic now. They're building everywhere around us, you know. So the U.S. border, New York border is about an hour away for us. So we we tend to go down to New York State quite a bit. Oh, nice. <laughs> and it's beautiful there. Yeah. Do you go down to Lake Cordelline, that sort of area? Do you go down that far? Yeah, we go down there. I mean, we'll, we'll go also around like the Finger Lakes kind of thing and the Adirondacks. And uh, it's just beautiful. Not to take away from Canada and its beauty. <laughs> it's just traffic can be uh, just not so enjoyable. Exactly nervous enough in a car let alone in a motorcycle <laughs> now I can't see but I want to bring up the fact that um you haven't got one hand is that correct yeah one hand okay I see this so for our friends who are listening our motorcycle people listening Angie's arm ends looks like at your wrist it's, yeah it's just about yeah around the, the wrist this is actually where the hand would have developed right so you have a little nub there yeah that's right yeah how to describe your mobility what um day-to-day challenges do you have? Uh, Day-to-day nothing. I mean, I I think when I was born, my mom used to tell me stories. I was impatient from the get-go. So father's daughter, um, because mom was very patient and I'm not sometimes. Um, So I would roll to get to where I wanted to go to rather than crawl because I wanted to get there faster. And this was all before I, you know, learned how to speak and everything. So I was always thinking of a way day-to-day. The only challenges I have are what other people think I can and can't do. It, it, it's other people's opinions. I mean, for me, I mean, I play guitar, I, I, I you know, ride a motorcycle, I, I do everything that everybody else does. It's not a problem for me. I see. So this is from birth that you've had this situation. So I suppose I'm, I don't want to be assumptive, and I'm not a medical person that you haven't known any different. Exactly. And, and sometimes it's it's a, it's a little easier if you were born that way, as opposed to maybe becoming an amputee, because now you have to start learning things all over again. And for me, this is all I know. So sometimes I find if people are making suggestions, I appreciate the suggestions. Ange, you might be able to do this. Or Ange, why don't you wear a prosthetic? Or Ange, and I'm saying, listen, this is what I know. For me, this is normal. This is my normal. I understand. Yes. Yeah. So you don't need to correct any. It wasn't uh, an issue in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. So you've naturally become a left-hander, I guess. That's your right hand that's the nub. Correct. Yeah. I think I would have been right-handed. My dad was ambidextrous, but I think I would have been right-handed. But yeah, this is uh, this is getting the bulk of the workout. <laughs> the bulk of the workout on the left. Bulk of the workout. Yeah. I mean, although and you play guitar. I do. I do. So I, I love guitar. I. I uh, it's funny. Maybe I'm dating myself, but Page from Led Zeppelin is what got me into guitar, and Angus Young from ACDC is what kept me going. So yeah, I formed an ACDC trip uh, actually with my hubby back in 2001, just to demonstrate what you can accomplish, you know, when you set your mind to it. And it was amazing, the people that I met and the stories that they'd share. I, I never expected that, really. I just wanted to show, don't judge people, you know, and that's actually what started inspiring me to become a speaker and share my story. When I heard of people would say, you're inspiring me and and said, wow, if I can help people overcome challenges and Oh, so this is this is what you do. You make it your modus operandi to sort of spread how how um, how to get on with things, I guess. Correct. Yeah, there's you know what? There's so much negativity right in the world and that. And I, I think we can all get down in the dumps. I mean, myself included. But I so I just like to share what you can accomplish, um, you know, with grit, determination. We don't always we're not always blessed with having the support network and the positive around us. So sometimes you just have to dig deep. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
very poignant words. Then motorcycles came along or were motorcycles already in your family? Did your parents ride? No, my sister was dating somebody that actually raced. And uh, now I'm really going to date myself. This was in the 60s. And he <laughs> Daytona. He raced in, in Quebec and whatnot. And he came over with a friend of his. I was about five years old. And they were both on motorcycles. And I stood behind my sister. I was very shy at one point. <laughs> I, I was peering around to see this bike. And they asked me if I wanted a ride. And um, he gave me a ride around the block, which I, I remember as just I loved it. And I, I was mad at the same time because it was a short little ride and it was very slow, you know, and, and um, I just remember from that minute, I was, I was just hooked. I, I just, I just loved the feeling. And of course I thought it was kind of cool to have this helmet and, you know, I just loved it. And uh, as I grew, like I just started watching motorcycle racing and Evil Knievel was big back then. And I had that toy. I had that toy with Evil Knievel. <laughs> I made that thing jump over. <laughs> he jumped over all those buses, didn't he? Back, that was back in England then. Yeah. And he fell just like the really Knievel, you know, it was great. But I, I, I convinced my parents, I don't know how I did it, to get me a moped when I was a teenager. And I don't know how they agreed to it because they didn't like the idea of, you know, motorcycles, of course, right? The, the, the possibility of accidents and everything else. But I got it. I used to ride that thing like it was a motorcycle. Now it must have been modified, but I don't remember how. But I, I used to dress in leather and I had a leather jacket with fringes and leather pants, full face helmet with a shield, you know, dark shield. And I'd ride this thing. And one day I was going up a hill and, and uh, a bus was like just trying to push me up the hill because it's not a motorcycle. In my head, it was a motorcycle. And a 10 speed bike passed me. And that's when I thought, you know what, Angie, you are on a moped. <laughs> You've got to try and make some changes here. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and again, this was like around 1979, 1980. And uh, I went actually to a shop to talk to them about bikes and the possibility of, of modifying. And um, they pointed me to scooters and saying that they were automatic. And not that there's anything wrong with scooters. No, but that's not what you were lusting after at the time. And back then, you know, there wasn't social media where you could start researching and everything else. So uh, I just walked out of there dejected and, and started bugging friends of mine that had bikes to put me on the back. <laughs> Sounds like you're pretty persistent. I am. <laughs> you were and you are. <laughs> there's my shirt, right? <laughs> so it's like, right? No so such thing as can't. There's no can't. such thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great shirt. <laughs> I like to encourage people to try different things. And I don't think there's any age limit on that either. I think as you go through life, you need to keep putting yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, I mean, what happened was as I got older, you know, life takes over uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, when we got the band going, which was around 2001, the ACDC trip, we started playing motorcycle events. And that's actually what brought it all back and said, wow, you know, I, yeah, I've had the odd ride here and there as you get older. But everybody, I, I, I was Angus, so I played lead guitar. So I was Angus Young, uh, the schoolboy suit and everything. And everybody wanted to take Angus for a ride on the bike. And and I would talk to people while I was playing and, and uh just the love of motorcycles came back and and I was talking to my hubby about getting a bike and it was never the right time. It was never the right day. It was never tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Life goes by. And then I got diagnosed with breast cancer in, in 2014. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I know, but I believe there's always a positive and the positive that came out of that was stop waiting for the day and get the motorcycle. Right. So that really pushed you to do things. Yeah. Away. And now we had social media and I started researching and um, about different people and the modifications that they had. And uh, a lot of what I found was in the U.S. 
you know, different things and amputees riding. Uh, it, it's just unbelievable. Some of the mods. So there is a world out there where people are applying themselves. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, um, paralyzed folks that race, race. Uh, it, it's amazing what's out there. So I got in touch with some folks here to talk about the possibility and then started pushing that forward. The, the challenge was, you know, we have motorcycle shows uh, and uh, the first one that I went to in 2016, my hubby got a bike. So he got a Yamaha. Actually, the first bike he got was a used one, Yamaha 650. And I was on the back and whatever. But, what you know, he went to work. The bike was home. I looked at the bike and I said, no, this won't do because can't doesn't exist for me. <laughs> and I want to ride. I don't want to wait for him to get home. Right. So we went to another show in early 2017. And what ended up happening was he bought a new bike. <laughs> So he got a Yamaha 950 Tourer and Ange got nothing. <laughs> but in, 20, in, 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 I think it was February uh, that same year, they have a motorcycle show, which is kind of like, uh, you know, the car show. It's more the manufacturer show. And honestly, nobody would talk to me uh, seriously about a motorcycle, about mods, except for Honda. You know, I spoke with this gentleman that worked uh, at a shop called Barry, uh, Barry Power Sports uh, up in Barry, Ontario. Uh, Sid and and he spent I mean it's busy at these shows you know he spent over an hour talking to me uh, about the 2017 Rebel had just come out with the fat tires and how he thought that would be a good starter bike for me and this fellow Nick I think he was district manager at the time he spoke to me about possible mods and everything started rolling and I just was so it makes me emotional to this day that if not for those guys never would have got off the ground I don't think how lovely and for everybody listening you know this is a real lesson in the being persistent and trying all those different sort of outlets for want of a better word. Yeah. Don't give up. <laughs> it was an up and down thing. Cause I was all excited that, yeah, I'm going to get a, a bike and I can modify it, but now I have to find someone to train me because, you know, in Ontario it's graduated licensing and they, it starts with the M1, which is easy. I mean, it's just a computer test, although there's four sections and I didn't pass part of the <laughs> rules of the road, which here I am driving a car. So I, you know, not that I'm a bad driver, but you got to remember all kinds of things. So I did pass it eventually, but the M2, the best way to do that is to take a course. And when you take the course, you use the bikes provided by the school. Well, there was no bike that I could, I would have to use my own. And uh, I talked to different schools and again, nobody wanted to uh, train me. They, they said it was, uh, you know, all kinds of issues and challenges. And so I went from this to this, I canceled the purchase. Oh, really down. Well, it's, it's normally an insurance thing with those type of scenarios and it's easier to say no than to try and work a way around it. Exactly. And I, I canceled the, the purchase of the bike with Honda and they were fantastic. I mean, they said, you know, unlike selling you a car, we sell enjoyment and fun. So if something's not going to work out, you'll have no problem. But when I canceled it, <laughs> the fellow Nick that I mentioned earlier, he called me quickly and he said, I will connect you with a school that will train you. And he connected me with a, a gentleman by the name of Don Redekop at Learning Curves. And he followed up with the Ministry of Transportation in Ontario. Is there any reason why I can't ride? Nope. And he let me use my own bike and um, got the M2. A few years later, got my full M license. And it's been the best thing uh, getting out in that community. That's marvelous. And so Learning Curves, did you say, the, the schools that taught you? Yes, and they're still there up in... Oh, yes. They're up in Ontario. They have different locations and whatnot. And it was fantastic. I mean, the modifications originally were done through Mission Cycle, which is in Angus, Ontario, near Barrie, Ontario, where I got the bike. And originally what we did was we did a finger throttle. So 
he took this thing called a gold finger and he kind of put it at a side and I, I literally used the throttle this way on this. So he, and it was, it was a cable. So you're like a MotoGP rider. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You've got all these little switches and things. <laughs> he moved the front brake to the left side and uh, it was a centrifugal force kind of clutch with ball bearings and everything that disengaged the engine based on RPM. So I would still shift. And it was great for the Rebel. It was fantastic for the Rebel, which was a 300. And everybody said, Ange, why are you getting a 300? Because you're going you're gonna to want something more powerful. And I said, well, if it doesn't work, I'd rather start with the three. And so, of course, it didn't take long. I was on a shadow. The shadow did not like the centrifugal force clutch. I, I, I had to you know, get service regularly, like every year, which cost some money. So not being sponsored, it wasn't the easiest thing. So, And we changed the finger throttle to more like a, an ATV type of throttle because with the shadow torque and everything was getting heavy and, and my arm was getting sore so you could use your thumb to throttle yeah so we we changed that and then I found out about the CTX the Honda CTX which is dual clutch and I'm the first person to say don't let other people make a decision for you you make the decision but I was actually I I got into that because people say oh you're on a, a dual clutch that's on a motorcycle you're not on a motorcycle you're on a you're on a scooter and I thought and I let that impact, I let that thinking impact me. I went against my own, you know, but I eventually got it. And um, I love that bike. I, I, I've i had a naked and now I got the, the other one, the, the the cruiser. Oh boy. Yeah. You put a Corbin seat on that thing with a backrest. <laughs> like I never want to get off. And we made a change this year from throttle like this to actually putting a twist throttle. And the reason we did that is because I have a carpal tunnel and I had surgery Right. So you're using your left hand now on a twist throttle. Yeah. So after the surgery, I mean, everything was good with the fingers, but when I was riding, I'd still get kind of numbness and, and it was determined that that's from doing this all the time. So now we're trying to twist. Yeah. So this is the first time I'm going to try the twist throttle. Um, my Honda could just be old age, you know? No, you can't <laughs> say that. My friend came over yesterday and he's older than me and he called me old and I'm not even going to say his name, but he called me old. And I said, I'm not old. And then this morning uh, a handle fell off the furniture and I said, to my hubby, I said, you see, I'm not old. Our furniture is old. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you have the power of positive thinking on your side. It's all up here. <laughs> I know a lot of people actually who've had carpal tunnel surgery. Yeah, it's pretty debilitating before the surgery. But when you get the carpal tunnel, yes. Part of it was okay because I had a splint that I used to work. We tried different things, you know, to, to delay surgery. I didn't want surgery. But the splint, you know, I wear it at night and, you know, you roll over and hit the hubby in the head every so often. And, you know, <laughs> I said, well, that gets you back for your snoring, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the surgery, I mean, it was is a day procedure. It didn't take very long. The prep was actually longer than the procedure. But I walked out mad because I said, I can't even hold a piece of paper and I can't feel anything and I can't sit. That you can't doesn't exist. And he said, would you just relax? And you just had it done. Give your body time. Yes. <laughs> right. So we had an argument that night. And he said, well, what do you want to eat for dinner? I said, I, I want <laughs> I want fried chicken and fries. So he got that and he, he was going to cut it for me. I said, don't don't cut it for me. He said, but you can't hold a fork. I said, I don't care. So stubborn. I'm trying fries going everywhere pieces. That's better than that getting someone to help you. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just been, we've been together about 40 years. So he knows, he knows what to expect. Congratulations. That's, that's uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good start. <laughs> no, that that's about the same as us. That's great. So how did you feel when you, um, were diagnosed with breast cancer. Is that scary? Yeah, it was. This might sound crazy. 
when I was 20 some odd, I told my husband, I'm going to get breast cancer. And there is no proof on this. This is just how my brain works. I thought I sit in front of a computer all day and the radiation is going to give me breast cancer. There is no, nothing to prove this at all, but this is how my head works. And I said, I'm going to get it probably when I'm 50. And the other thing about me, I was only born with one breast that developed. So I thought, well, right away, 50, 50, you know, but I did get it. And I, I wasn't surprised because I felt it. And the first thing I asked my surgeon was, am I going to die? And he said, well, that's what we're going to try and prevent. It does stop your world, doesn't it? Make you think. Uh... It did. But um, I always say that it allowed me to meet the nicest person that I never thought I would meet, which was my oncologist, Dr. Fine. And I, uh, I think of him every day and my surgeon, uh, Dr. Moffitt. And I, I had my treatment and my surgery done at Credit Valley, which is not too far from here. It, it changed me insofar as I think I have more patience. I, I'm more empathetic and uh, I can truly understand what it's like to face something like that. So that was a different sort of a, a mental challenge, having an unseen illness, as it were. You know, you've been visually, um, as far as people can see, impaired, even though it sounds as though you're doing more than anybody else. <laughs> and then suddenly you've got an unseen disease, which has taken all that time treating years. Did that alter your perception on life because it's it is very scary isn't it it's daunting when you're told that you have something that can very possibly kill you in a short period of time it did but it also puts you in a special community just like motorcycling you're in a special community like you you know you go for your chemo you're telling jokes that other people would say oh you can't say that yeah we can because we're in that community we can make those jokes and you know um but it opens up your eyes too about life is is even even if you felt it before life is precious how precious it truly is and how fragile it it truly is and how things can change like that just like that you can go even if it's not something as major as cancer you can go from being able to do things to not being able to do them I, I know people who've sort of injured their lower back and suddenly they they can't go on the skiing holiday they can't do so many things because suddenly they have to care and tend for a different kind of lifestyle. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, and now I've got this thing in my hand. <laughs> so I look at it and I go, what the heck? And I, I do what I tell everybody not to do. I go to Dr. Google and I tell Eric, don't go to Dr. Google. I go to, because I know the right sites to go to. <laughs> and I, I research this and I find, you know, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. I said, I bet you this is Deputrans or Viking disease. This is the carpal tunnel in your hand. Well, this is this thing that I just found recently. Like it, it's it's like a, a a bump here, like under my finger. Oh, you're going for something else now. You're going for another another medical disaster, <laughs> right? So I go back to my hand surgeon that did the carpal tunnel, and I I said, "It's been a while. I missed you. I wanted to see you." And I said, "Is that what it is?" And he goes, "Yeah." He said, and "Over time, your hand might go like this, form into a claw." Yeah, the finger one finger might get, or it might be this finger, or it might be this finger. It might happen. It might not. It might never happen. And what is that called? Deputrans, which I could be pronouncing it wrong, but it's also <laughs> not Vikings disease. Right. And is this something that he thinks is caused by repetitive use of the motorcycle? Or He's saying it's, it's more of a genetic thing. He says, right. uh, well, yeah. that's a relief for all us motorcyclists. <laughs> right. Yeah, don't worry. He, he said, he said, it starts with royalty. So you have royalty in your blood from Europe. I said, yeah, okay. This kind of royalty, I don't need, you know, and it, 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 cause when I ride now, you know how people do the two, you know, when I ride, I'm, I'm holding and, and my two fingers, it's like this, right? So depending on what's going to happen with these fingers, who knows what. 
again, it might never happen. It's just, you know, it's just another chapter in the life of Ange. Right. So that's a keep an eye on its situation. Yeah. So how did you then get involved in going out and sort of spreading the love and speaking to people about your experiences? It started with the ACDC tribute band when people would share their stories and I would share mine and and we did some benefits. Uh, we did one for, uh, there's a hospital here called Sick, Sick Children's Hospital, um, which is an amazing place uh, for children that should never have to deal with anything. And we did this gig and there were some, you know, kids around and there was one little boy and I remember like, this was in like, oh my God, this is over 10 years ago. And he had, he had some disfigurement to his face. And I remember him pointing and saying, look at her little arm, look at her little arm. And, and I spoke to his dad later and he said, he hasn't smiled in a long time. And uh, we got him up on stage and everything, started talking to some other children and, and it, it just felt so good. And the parents were sharing stories. And, and that's when I started thinking, okay, I can help by sharing mine. Um, so I was doing that periodically and I'd use the band to always say, don't judge others based on how they look. And, you know, why discourage when you can encourage those are things I, I live by. And then I I've been in the corporate world for over 25 years. And I just thought now's the time. So I walked away from a, an awesome position that I I've had and I've gone into um, inspirational speaking full-time um, just because I think, wow, it's so important. I, I felt now's the time for me to try, uh, which led to the me writing a book. And I also made a 32 minute documentary called Angie Tells of Determination, which I actually submitted to festivals. And I got into a variety of motorcycle uh, festivals too, and it was selected. So I'm, I'm... Are our listeners able to see that or hear that? Is that something that's available now? Yeah, well, I haven't released it to the public yet. It is sell it and <laughs> I sell the book yeah well of course this is your business now right but I'm going to be uh looking at a way to kind of get it out there so people can see it yeah because it's you're you're such a good example because you've had a couple of different you know things that have restricted you and you've got over it so readily yeah I mean, I don't know if you're as perky and happy all the time, but you certainly seem to have a really buzzy personality. <laughs> I try to be <laughs> perky all the time. <laughs> Sometimes things happen. We all have dark days and things happen or thoughts. And um, if you ask my hubby, he'll tell you I drive him crazy every time I get an abdominal pain. And I'll say, did it hurt there? Does it always hurt there? Did it hurt my back? Was it? Did you remember this? He goes, yes, Ange. It's been doing that off and on for over 30 years. You have GERD, you know. What do you, you know, but he, he has to... <laughs> So what happens? But uh, I try to stay positive. Yeah. Because my hubby, he, he calls me beanhead because of when, you know, when I went through cancer and I went, I, I was bald for a while. He started, it started with elf and then it went to beanhead. And I remember my girlfriend, she was all upset. You know, you can't call her that. It's offensive. I said, he's my husband. I love it. It makes me laugh. <laughs> he calls me beanhead and I call him kook. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so you're both still riding. Are you both still riding your own motorcycles? Yeah, absolutely. Have you stuck with Hondas? Uh, he's, he's got the Yamaha. He still has his Yamaha tour. I've still got my Honda. We just picked them up. Uh, uh, we actually store them both at, at Honda, which is uh, Milton Power Sports in Milton, Ontario. They've been kind enough to sponsor me. And uh, yeah, we just picked them up the other day. I, I trailered mine home because of the I want to test this new way of riding for me in my quiet area in a parking lot. But yeah, he rode his home and I was all upset driving behind him, cursing and saying, it's not fair. You got on the bike first. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so we got plans to, um, yeah, go obviously to Americade. Um, we're members of the Southern Cruisers Riding Club also, which is, a, is an awesome riding club. I'm the second officer for 680 chapter, uh, Oakville, Ontario. So we're going to go after Americade. We have a, a, a little like a meet and greet in Pennsylvania 
then we'll come back. And in the summer, we're planning maybe to go to uh, Atlanta, Canada, do the Cabot Trail, maybe go into Maine. And Fantastic. Lots happening. I'll have to put you in touch with um, a chap called Scott Casey, who he uh, runs the Rolling Barrage. It's uh, a veterans run right the way across Canada. Awesome. I would I would really like that. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I think you'd be great together. So um, it sounds like you've ridden a lot of different places, Northern America and Canada. Have you got a favourite? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's difficult. I'm putting you on the spot, really. Because... Right? I know. Well, I don't like <laughs> people. You see, this is what I mean. People will say, and I'm all about don't judge me. I hate gravel. Everybody, I think we all hate gravel, but I truly hate it. <laughs> but everybody wants me to do the tail of the dragon. And I said, you know, it's not that I can't do it. I can and then I'll get people say, well, yeah, because you, you ride with one hand. It's got nothing to do with that. Even if I rode with two, I just don't like the constant. I like more. You like more big sweeping curves, not, not the little twisties. Yeah. So, you know, might want to go to back of the dragon, but favorite. I mean, we did Hawk's Nest in New York. It, it, it's a nice little route. Yeah, it ends at Hawk's Nest uh, and it, it's New York and it ends near uh, Matamoros, PA. It's a nice little run. And at the end, it's literally where the Hawk's Nest. So you're high and you're looking down at the Delaware River. So it's a nice little run. I, I I like that. And we did some riding in, in Quebec to Tadoussac, anything along the St. Lawrence River. I love the water. So anything, uh, you know, along there, I mean, it was beautiful. And you have mountains and you're coming down mountains. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. I like those sort of sceneries where you have the mountains in the background. I want to do a lot. There's so much I want to do. Like, I mean, I said next year we have to go to Daytona, first of all. I want to go to the, the bike week. and uh, Exciting, yes. I really want to do that. And I want to ride the Keys. I mean, even though years ago we did it in a car, I want to do it on the bike with water everywhere and uh the blue ridge and you know so if anybody wants to you know ride with me that'd be great ride with you or sponsor you <laughs> because it sounds as though you're out there yeah because i mean the the, the goal here is that i'm going to be you know doing a lot of video um meeting people and starting a podcast called why can't i where i talk to people about challenges that they overcame whether it's riding a motorcycle or, or something else um because again it's all about sharing and and i meet so many people I'm, I'm i'm so blessed that would be great because you with all you know uh, you do make it sound easy or an easy person and it sounds as though you've grown to cope with them um, things easily and it's not the same for everybody so i think some people just need a lot more encouragement when adversity hits it's not always easy just to pick up correct i mean and then you know I, one of the things that I, I try and instill in people that things that you do and how you act towards others Think about the impact. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I was pointed at and laughed at and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I was told I should, when I was trying to get a job, I was told I should be hidden behind a desk and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, and you, you work through that and made me stronger, actually. But for me, if I pull into a gas station or pull in somewhere and I dump the bike, immediately my first thing is I'm, I'm looking around to see if anybody saw. That's the first thing I do. And then, you know, all my friends and everybody tells me, if people tell you they haven't dumped their bike, they're lying. Everybody dumps the bike. But in my head, I'm thinking... Somebody's going to think, yeah, you see, you dumped the bike because you're riding with one hand. That's still in my head, right? And 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 even my hubby said, what do you care? He said, you dumped it. Pick it up and keep going. Like, you're the first one to say, don't judge me. So what do you care what other people think? You know, but it's. Yes, well, the mind is a powerful thing. And uh, it, it very often doesn't allow you any, any sense of control. <laughs> in a more minor way, I have you know, mental sort of challenges with my riding confidence. I've been riding for years. I had a big, long gap, but on off, uh, you know, I just talk myself through it every time what I'm doing, what I'm focusing on. I mean, that's what I love about motorcycling. It's the challenge of incremental improvements. Each time you're on the motorcycle, you sort of do something 
perfectly in your way. So pleased with yourself. It's a good, it's a good personal challenge. Exactly. So um, once you've uh, got the podcast going, do you think you will put anything into writing? Have you got any plans to write a book perhaps? Yeah, well, I mean, I did the one, which is from chemo to throttle, and it more focuses on the story of, you know, how the cancer motivated me to get into writing. And I can send you one. <laughs> be more now. That would be super, actually, because um, I'll do a review and we'll put it on the Ultimate Motorcycling uh, Book Review website. Hopefully it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I wrote that because I, I just, um, my friend wrote a book and I and, and he's a professor and, and he's written an amazing book about Canadian inventions that, you know, which is fantastic. My good friend, Professor Mark Rector, who actually inspired me, said, Ange, you got a great story. You know, um, you should get it out there. So um, after we did the documentary, I, I wrote the book. But I do want to try and write another one about now. OK, now we're writing and to compliment the podcast, you know, about people. And now that I'm not working corporate anymore and I'm more or less working for me, I'm trying to get my you know website up and going about doing blogs as well. It's just there's so much going on trying to prepare for this, you know, for Americade and, and uh, my hubby's trying to get a business going too. So it's just, yeah. and I got to practice guitar we got gigs and, you know, it's just, they're all good problems. Our classic rock band is called Lefty and the Goons. I sing in that one and I, I play guitar and we do everything from the Beatles right up to, if anybody's familiar with Rammstein, German, I sing, I sing Rammstein and Motorhead and all this stuff. So, and I've, we've written some songs. The ACDC trib is called Bear Rump. So it's B-A-R-E-R-U-M-P. I, I stopped it years ago but we're bringing it back just because I thought if I'm speaking and I also have the band going, it, it, it's just all about sharing the story and just demonstrating what you can achieve. I can see, I can feel it from, you know, it's helping people. All of these people you would not have met if you hadn't had all these dodgy situations. <laughs> I thank them all the time. And my buddy Todd at Mission Cycle and even there was another fellow closer to me, um, John at uh, Motorcycle Enhancements. He helped me out with some things as well. And it's amazing how people come together to help. You just, it, it took some time, um, but the persevere, you know, once the ball started rolling, there's no stopping. And now with, you know, Milton Power Sports, Honda up the street from me, supporting me, it's, 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 it's a true blessing. It really is. Well, I take from this hats off to Honda actually for, for and the, the Berry group for getting you going. That's hats off. What I'd really like to do is I would like to ride to different events where people, like, like I was saying, I, I mean, I know that there's folks in California, they're paralyzed and they race. And I would like to go out there and meet them. I'd like to meet other folks. There's so many things like that I found through Facebook and Instagram about people. I'd like to go and find those people, tell their story, get it out there, um, you know, and and share all that when I'm doing speaking engagements. And and um, I really want to get into the schools. I mean, getting into the schools is is, is tough. I, I speak at a lot of service clubs and, and things, uh, the rotaries, but getting into the schools and demonstrating to children what you can do, and, you know, going in there and playing guitar, showing them the motorcycle. And I know there's folks that do that, but I, I don't have a script. I mean, I, 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 it's just like when I play, I watch people and I, I see where to go and, and, and to talk about the appropriate things that I, I really think that would help. There's, a, there's an amazing uh, cancer support network here in Ontario called Wellspring. They're actually in Calgary, Alberta, too. I was doing volunteer work with them and I want to do that again. And I want to organize a, a, a ride. Uh, called Wheels for Wellspring, getting the kids just to forget about this stuff for a while and sing bikes and and raising money for that. So I want to try and do that next year. She's a lot on the go. 
This is specifically for children with cancer. They have support for everybody with cancer. So I just wanted to raise money for Wellspring overall, but I thought if we could kind of gear it more it's it, to the kids. They used to have a kids carnival like at the location near us in Oakville, and we played there. And uh, I remember the kids coming up, you know, playing on the drums or we let them t- play with the instruments and they start talking to you. I remember talking to this little girl and it was just this conversation you think you can't have with a little girl where she's telling me about her cancer experience and she sounds like she's, you know, an adult. And here I am telling her my thing. She goes, well, I had a port. And I'm going, well, I had a port. She says, well, mine was here. And I go, well, mine was here. And, and, and the parents, you know, cause you're, you're, you're playing later. Everybody could be, just be normal for a while and not have to worry about illness and treatment and chemo and on all that stuff. So this place is really good. They're not funded. And I know there's a lot of places out there. Don't get me wrong, but this is the one that I was connected with. Um, they're not funded all the everything that they get is through donation and stuff so that's why I wanted to do something like wheels for wellspring with the bikes give them a boost yes yeah give them a boost and 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 Honda and Milton they agreed that you know maybe we could start it there and then go to some of the wellspring locations and try and get the kids to come out you know and get them excited and it sounds as though you're almost there you know you've got a few things in place there yeah, start next year. And then um, there's a place, tons of bike gear, which is in St. Anne's, uh, Lil and Ed. So my goal is just to get out there and meet people and just share the story. Fantastic. We'll, we'll just wish you all the best then. We'll catch up with you soon. You too. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Ta-da. 